The Way of Water connects all things to James Cameron. Oh, yeah. Let's go. There we are. I know you're all asking yourselves the same question. Why so blue? No, I'm afraid I just blew myself. Hello. Welcome to Bomb Squad Movie Night. And if you can't tell from how blue I am, we're talking about the biggest movie of the year, probably. Avatar The Way of Water. I am your host and master of ceremony, Blue Tanner Richard Craft. And with me, I have... Hi, I'm Eiffel65. I'm looking at Tanner and all I'm thinking is... It always goes wrong when we come to the dessert. I am Melon Lord. We have a special guest returning uh, from the Arthur Christmas podcast. Hey, I'm Matt Sullivan. Uh, we're talking about Avatar Way of the Water, a movie quite literally 13 years in the making. Uh, before we talk about our thoughts on the movie, I just kind of want to know, what kind of expectations did we have going into Avatar The Way of Water? Austin, I'd love to start with you. Ooh, okay. Uh, so for starters, I'm 28 years old. When I was growing up, I was lucky enough to witness the release of consoles like the PS2 and the PS3, the sixth and seventh generation of game consoles. Going from like Mario 64 to Halo 2 to Metal Gear Solid 4 when I grew into like an adult, it felt like the future was charging at me like a rhino. Since then, game consoles have gotten to the point of kind of like diminishing returns where the next big thing kind of looks like the last big thing. And the closest thing I've got to help capture that feeling from when I was younger is the Avatar movies. Well, if you want to sit up, that's fine. Okay, good. Just take it nice and slow, Jake. Good. Okay, well, no trunkle attacks here. That's good. This is the clearest video I've ever seen. This is the most HD shit ever. Growing up surrounded by the big CGI revolution in games and movies, I peeked behind the curtain as best as my dumb idiot brain could handle and became kind of familiar with computer graphics. The canon of benchmarks was a curiosity I tried to keep myself familiar with, from Westworld all the way at the beginning up to like de-aging in The Irishman. And uh, one thing you learn fast reading about CGI is that water can be a giant hassle. Uh, we can make giant robots with 11 million polygons, no problem, but simulating the surface tension of water is like devil magic. We've come a really long way with water. Uh, the earliest CGI water was probably Carla's Island and Beach Chair. The first fluid simulation in a motion picture was actually the DreamWorks movie Ants, if you can believe that. But I shit you not, there's still a lot to figure out, hence why the shot of the leather strap from Way of the Water trailer made people shit their pants. With all that context, finding out this movie's gimmick was that it's really, really wet was sort of a huge deal for me. We've come a long way since 2009, lots of Avatar's workflow and visuals, what made them special, have become kind of commonplace with other blockbusters, albeit often without the James Cameron polish, but a 3 plus hour, 99% CGI movie where people spend a ton of time messing around in water, wet for wet mocap with the help of infrared cameras on a custom 8K rig? I've heard this before. That's the kind of pitch that screams, this hasn't been done before and we're fucking going for it. Just like the first movie did. So yeah, wrapping this up, I think James Cameron and his team have a really solid grasp on how to push forward into previously impossible territory. That by itself made me certain this movie had me there opening day. Good story would be a bonus, but I was there to see what the fucking future looks like. The future has finally arrived. 
All right, Joe Vrenick, uh, what were your expectations heading into Avatar The Way of Water? Man, oh man, we, we like to joke that this movie took its sweet-ass time to come out. It did. And man, oh man, the online debates on how much it was going to suck just it, it got like really ridiculous really fast and i was not on board with that because if we've learned one thing from james cameron it's that he kind of falters in the story department sometimes like the story department of that first avatar movie is not the best but that man is a technical wizard when it comes to filmmaking they cannot make things like that yet not yet. Not for about 40 years. So, my expectations going into this were maybe the story might improve. He, he's got however long he wants to take on it to get it right. But if there's anything that is a guarantee, the visual effects are going to be fucking incredible. The action storytelling, at the very least, is going to be fucking incredible because that man knows how to do like third act climaxes like nobody else. That man can do it in his sleep. And the other thing that we can look forward to is a bunch of fucking movie nerds and just science fiction nerds praising this movie on opening weekend and then literally a week later saying it's the worst thing ever. That's every movie I've ever made, though. Pretty much. But yeah, I expected just a, a, a nice, fun little experiment in filmmaking by one James Cameron. So Tim, Tim, my boy, uh, you had the unique perspective of having a family member who worked on the movie. So what were your expectations going in? So, yeah, uh, I didn't stay for very long on the Avatar one podcast, uh, but I, I think I can pretty much sum my thoughts on that one pretty quickly. It's a very cold take. It's an ice cold take. Uh, I think it's a very visually striking movie that does a lot of technical things very well and has kind of a middling story. So I guess going forward into Avatar 2 like you know initially it was just kind of like okay whatever um, and then a couple years ago my cousin Matt who is with us right now uh, he, he told me and my brother Ruck about how he had uh, been working on this movie and I thought that was really cool to hear about and so I'm here for Avatar 2 and I brought Matt along and you know why because Sully's stick together <laughs> back to you Tanner <laughs> yes Tim that was perfect alright Matt, for you, I'm going to actually sw swap up the question a little bit. You had the fortune of working on the movie. This is a big Hollywood production. What does that kind of do to color your expectations for the movie? Do you just see it as, oh, that's a thing I work on? Do you get excited as like a fan at all? Or like, what, what's that like? Yeah, so, it, I mean, it was definitely an interesting one. The Avatar sequels in particular, just because, I mean, most productions that I'm a part of on them for about anywhere from like three months to six months, sometimes a little bit longer. And then within the next year, it's done and out the door. So with these movies, I kind of, I knew that the timeline was going to be expanded a little bit on that. So I was on them for about a year and a half. I worked on two and three. Three doesn't have a name yet. It'll be announced at some point. But I think just the expansion of that timeline was like a little bit weird to adjust to because I worked on them in 2017 and 2018. And at the time, it was supposed to be about a year out from the time that I left. And then it got pushed a couple times 
And so I was, I was like just sitting there waiting to see what those final shots were going to look like because my department, I think it was called the sequencing team or the sequence team, but usually it would be called the previous department because it was such a unique technological approach to filmmaking. It wasn't quite the same as the way that we would work on anything else. So that's why the department kind of had a different name. But I think my expectations going into working on it were, I guess, from the standpoint of just someone who had seen the film and been technically really impressed with what they were able to do in 2009. And I had rewatched it right before starting. I think the day before I went on set, I rewatched the entire film. And that was, yeah, in 2017, I was blown away by, by how well it still held up. Just in terms of like the textures and the world building and everything. I was thinking that after a rewatch, I would really be noticing that 10 years, almost 10 years had passed. But I was pleasantly surprised to see that everything felt like it really held up aside from, you know, some basic like lighting things that really improved over those 10 years. Like just global illumination really took a huge step forward in that time. So some of the stuff with like the eye reflections and, you know, just just like minor nerdy things that I was like, oh, you know, now I would think that that looked like it needed a bit of work. But as a whole, I think that film holds up super well, even today. So I was kind of coming in from that standpoint as just, you know, a fan who had watched the film, thought it was a good film, was really impressed by it in a lot of ways. And then I didn't really know what to expect because I had never worked with James Cameron before. And I had never really worked that in depth on a live action set before. Most of the time I was like, set adjacent working on kind of like behind the scenes stuff where like you're occasionally on and off the set, but you're not playing like a huge role in the onset production. Whereas in this production, it was literally like half the days I was at my computer animating and then half the days I was sitting in like stadium seating at a computer overlooking the soundstage while there's like galloping horses with like mocap suits on and what it was it was just kind of like a crazy production that i had never seen anything like when i was there it was still actually really early in production i was one of the first sequences on the entire film because leading up into that point they were still working on the technology that would even be used to allow the artists to create. So I was actually sitting kind of in this bullpen where uh, Richie, Richie Bainham, who is like the, I'm not sure what his current role or credit was. I'm guessing that it was probably like assistant director or visual effects supervisor for like the onset productions or something. But he's kind of like James Cameron's right hand man in terms of just being able to understand the wild complexities of, and physics of such a complicated production that's like so specific. And he had worked actually, one of the things that he had told me he had worked on early in his career with Brad Bird was Iron Giant. Oh. He was one of the animators for Iron Giant when he was still pretty young. He was just doing like, I think he was doing the CG animation for the giant and like the, you know, the detached hand that's like crawling. Mm. Stuff. He had been telling me about that stuff and I was like, so cool. One of our direct supervisors is 
one of the creators of one of my favorite films of all time. So that was super cool. And so we were kind of in this bullpen. Richie's office was right there along with some of the other production people. Uh, our bullpen actually had a glass window, a huge glass window right behind my head. So if I'm at my computer now, there's a massive glass window right behind me. And if I just stood up and turned around, it's looking down on a massive set, which was stage six, I think. It was one of two main production stages that they were shooting more of the parkour stuff. And then while I was there over the year and a half or so that I was there, they were in the process of building the underwater capture stage. So when I first got there, they literally had carpenters on that other uh, tank stage and they were building the structure for it. We would just walk in there every couple days to see the progress. That's just kind of how it goes. You take a lunch break, you just walk from one set to the next. Cause when it's such a big production, there's usually a lot of stuff going on at any given time. You know, you could have one team that's doing like performance capture for previs on one set. And then you have them doing like camera capture and like your first team, basically like your first director. And then you have second director and second unit. So first and second unit, we're usually doing different things. And so you'd kind of like wander from one stage to the next, just during lunch break, check out what's going on here, what's going on there, see how the progress on the tank is going. And I just remember seeing that tank, like it, it was kind of like a time lapse in my mind over the course of that year and a half where it just came to life. And then by the time I I left, they were actually like actively capturing footage underwater for all that stuff that I'm sure you guys saw. It was just such a different production than anything I had been a part of before. It was just super inspiring to be around such talented people and be part of such a cutting edge production that was just so different from the norm. And uh, it was definitely one of the most difficult productions in terms of, I guess, specificity would be the name of the game. You know, with some productions, depending on the director, if they're a little bit lenient about the types of shots that they're looking for, it's a bit easier to pitch stuff, make suggestions. There's a bit more of a give and take. With Jim, the difference is that, you know, it's, it's actually great. He knows exactly what he wants down to the pixel. And your job is to basically help him get there, right? It's super inspiring to see someone that takes such an attention to detail, even in terms of like, like one of the sequences that I was working on the most at the beginning of production was when the, uh, I think the sequence was called Manifest Destiny. So there are some spoilers in here. Yeah, audience, we're spoiling the shit out of Avatar 2. Yeah, okay. So one of the sequences that I worked on very heavily right when I started was the Manifest Destiny sequence, which is when, I think it's the second scene in the movie. The first scene is kind of like, like getting those intimate moments with the family where you're seeing Natam's birth and you're kind of seeing them learn how to hunt and just like understand the ways of the Pandoran rainforest and everything. And then the next sequence is a very hard cut. I think it's it's not actually a cut, but it's it feels like a cut because Neytiri just looks up and you see like this sparkle in the sky and then it cuts into the Manifest Destiny spaceship just like piling down into the Earth or into Pandora. And um, so I was working on all of that sequence with like the spaceships coming down, all of the effects for the thrusters coming out of the spaceship. And then we had this huge conversation about Jim was very set on as the ship was coming down and the officers were first making contact 
with the ground. He wanted to feel like there was a torus shaped like flux. He called it like the toroidal flux, which was basically like if you have intense propulsion going downwards, once it hits a flat ground plane, it has it has nowhere to go but out. And then it creates kind of like a torus effect. So if you were to blast a rocket uh, flame downwards to the earth, it creates like a donut shaped vortex kind of where all of the uh, residual smoke is kind of caught up in this little like torus shaped tornado. So he was super set on that. And that was kind of like the precipice for like the gigantic leading edge of fire that was just blasting across Pandora. And as you see, one of the original artists, I think, for that sequence was by Dylan Cole. Uh, Dylan Cole and Ben Proctor are two of like the keystone artists that were doing like paintings, uh, like concept art beforehand. And so I think it it was a Dylan painting. I'm not 100% sure, but I think it was Dylan Cole. He had done this amazing painting of like dire horses running and there's this wall of fire behind them and they're clearly, they're fucked. Like there's no chance that they're surviving. And so I think that that was such an inspiration for this sequence. And so I think like coming in the first couple days of production, you're just trying to be a sponge and soak in as much information as you possibly can as fast as you can. So I was just like tapping through all the production artwork and trying to really understand what we were in for and just like getting into some of those sequences and seeing like the concept art for it. I was like, holy shit, we're like in for a serious ride from like the first or second scene of the movie. So that was super inspiring. And I think like just seeing the way that their production worked was super cool. And and I think it just drove everybody to work that much harder. So I can I can kind of take a pause there so you guys can speak. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. <laughs> I don't know if that answered anything. That you asked, but I don't know if it did either, but I loved every second of it. So <laughs> it was great. This is the content that's more interesting than just us talking about movie. Yeah, now we have like a genuinely fascinating technical insight into the movie. Not a lot of videos online will have this. This will be like one of the first almost BTS things about Avatar 2 out there. Kate Winslet holding her breath. I always thought it was so funny because like I've been, you know, lip sealed for years about this production, just waiting for the day to see like a single frame from this production, like just a tiny little morsel. Because even when I left, everything was still such a work in progress. Like I had read the whole script for two and three and maybe part of four, but a lot of the capture had been done, but shots were still being stitched together. Everything was still kind of in pieces. None of the final rendering was done. There were some like early uh, look dev tests for the characters and for the world, but like everything was still very rough. And so I was just waiting for so long. And then finally, like pretty recently, I feel like <coughs> they dropped the teaser trailer, which fucking blew my head off. Yeah. Um, Cause I had, you know, I had heard grumblings from friends who had worked on the production, like, oh, it's looking crazy. You know, things are going well, but seeing that opening shot, I think the teaser trailer, the first shot, if I remember, correctly it was kind of like a top-down shot of yeah like jumping through the trees i think and you see like the tulkoons or like the i forget what the name of the shark creature was but just like the reef creatures like swimming around and like you can see into like that blue water just like sparkling blue water and i was like holy shit this is just on another level 
I have to follow all that up now. Um, I'll be quick with this. Uh, my expectations going to the movie where James Cameron is the king of sequels. He did it with Aliens. He did it with T2. Could he do it again here? He's had 13 years to perfect this technology. What is he bringing with us to blow our mind? When that first teaser came out, I remember the shot. Everyone's brought talked about it. Jake Soley tightening the reins of whatever creature that was. And people were arguing if, like, saying, no, they just put makeup on some guy's hand. That can't be CG, but it is. And it made me excited for the movie ever since. But we all know our expectations going into the movie. What were our thoughts on the movie overall? Find out after a brief uh, commercial break. Bye. Oh, are you writing a novel? What's that about? It's about a crippled soldier who in the future goes to another planet and he becomes one of the indigenous people who are blue and live in the forest. That's not Avatar? Not really. Welcome back to Bomb Squad Movie Night, Avatar Way of the Water. From the ads, another ad. Do you like movie? Do you like color? I hope you like color because there's a lot of blue in this episode. Because if you like those things, you can go to moviepalette.com and order your own movie palette today. You can go to moviepalette.com and order one for yourself. And while you're there, you can use the promo code SQUAD15 to get 15% off any order on that website. That's right, 15% off using the code SQUAD15. So order today. I bet you they have an Avatar one. Maybe not of the new one, but of the old one. All right, let's let's talk about what we think about this movie. Tim, I'm starting with you because I don't know what you think of it. Oh boy, my thoughts on the movie. It's like the first one, but more so. <laughs> Life is good, but it can be better. I feel like it has sort of the same strengths and weaknesses of the first one. Like, I'm still, I just can't really get super invested in the characters or the story. I do think it has a very beautiful, fascinating world. Like, I think that that is all very interesting and they, like, explore that really interestingly here. The technology has just increased so incredibly and that just makes it look that much more like amped up like the first movie looks gorgeous but like this one just amps it up to 11 and yeah visually it's just an incredible treat and like i don't watch movies in 3d very often these days like i typically only watch them in 3d if that just happens to be the time that i want to go to the movie but uh, of course like for this i have you gotta go see that in imax 3d because you get the full experience it was actually slightly disorienting because I was no longer used to 3D so every time there was like a dirty shot where there's like somebody dirty in the foreground I'm like oh fuck who's that? It's just a visual feast for the eyes. I do feel the runtime a lot especially like having just watched RRR where that three hours just flies by this one doesn't quite do that i don't think it, it it definitely feels long but like if you love the first one you're gonna love this one even more if you're middle ground on the first one you probably will like aspects of it more that's about my take on it uh back to you tanner totally fair joe Vranick, we saw this one together didn't we we did. We saw it in IMAX 3D, and I failed the Avatar challenge. I had to get up. 
Yeah, he got a headache halfway through, and afterwards I asked him for some aspirin because I also got a headache. I, I, it's like I, I had three reasons. One, I did kind of have to pee. Two, I literally woke up and drove to the theater. I was fucking hungry. I needed a snack. And three, I needed a fucking break because I can handle normal 3D more often than not. IMAX 3D is a lot. Like, I get headaches from IMAX 3D. Uh, my thoughts on the movie, though. All right, positives out of the way first. The visuals fucking incredible my fucking god everything that i expected from it, it it delivered and then some some of the most beautiful fucking visual effects i've seen in a movie all year everything underwater especially is fucking incredible right now that's probably the the biggest positive i can give is just the visual effects the world of pandora continues to be very fucking interesting it's performed pretty well i i think the performances specifically from Sam Worthington, have improved since the first film. With that said, though, I, I'm going to say this. This movie has five fucking writers on it, <laughs> and I have significantly forgotten most of the story. To compare this to another movie that I saw this year, I, to compare it to Hellraiser 2022, I have significantly forgotten most of the movie since uh, my watch of it. However, I will say this. The one story aspect that I do remember and I actually thought was really good was uh, with one of the sons and his like relationship with like the spirit whale that got banished. That one yes. I actually found very fucking interesting and actually had like a lot of emotion to it. As as far as the rest of the writing goes, there's a lot of setup for the however many fucking sequels Cameron's going to make after this. Jake Sully kind of suffers in the writing a little bit. Like, I'm not as attached to his character in this one. Kind of the same problem with the first movie. However, what the fuck happened to Neytiri? The most interesting character from the first film is like probably the least interesting character in this for me. Overall, yeah, it's fine. You, you already know if you're going to see it or not. Just just go see it for the visuals. Honestly, I don't know why James Cameron just doesn't make these like nature documentaries, but for like science fiction worlds, because honestly, I think that would be a hell of a lot better if he just made these like nature documentaries. <laughs> just watch the short film Scavengers. <laughs> I think he does make those, actually. He, he does. Yeah, I think he made like a bunch of under the sea stuff. But most that, of it has like a has like a human component to it, though. Like one of, one of the ones that I saw, he was like searching for the lost city of Atlantis with some other people. But I guess he was more of like a consultant on that. And then he did like the Mariana Trench dive yeah. documentary stuff and the yeah. Titanic Titanic dive stuff. And Austin, let's get the positivity train going. All right, I know you love this shit. RTX was on the whole fucking time. Uh, <laughs> it's it's funny seeing the Oppenheimer trailer before this movie because James Cameron is also responsible for a nuke. Nuke, the, the compositing software, of course. Uh, poetic. <laughs> Thanks, Digital Domain. Uh, Lightstorm Entertainment is at it again. Last time I saw that logo was in front of Ilita Battle Angel. Fun fact, Ilita prototyped some of the tech in this movie, like the wet-for-wet wet reference footage and CGI character mocap in uh, live-action sets being more fluid. Film history class is in session, baby. Speaking of Hell film yeah. history, 20th Century Fox is officially more parts history than it is film. It was funny as hell seeing that new logo lit the same way as they did back in Avatar 09, but like Grace and Quaritch, the original is long past dead. Yeah, not since Free Willy came out back in 93 has a movie made me care so deeply about a whale. 
Since this movie's about defending the ocean, they've diverted colonizer attention away from unobtainium and towards the brand new Amrita, uh, the Sanskrit word for immortality, because this fictional whale extract stops you from aging. Also, probably a nod towards ambergris, which is basically sperm whale extract that's used to make fancy perfumes, banned in many places. This movie's full of new good characters. Most central is Jake Sully and Neytiri's brood of four blue children, uh, one of which may be Pandoran Christ. Uh, the boys say the word bro a lot because they were raised by a former Marine. If you were wondering why this movie took 13 years to make, the producer's explanation was that the production needed the kids around the same exact age for this movie and the next two sequels. Because they don't have magic space whale extract in real life, that meant that their only option was to shoot three films back to back like Lord of the Rings style so the kids don't hit puberty between installments. If you're part of the collective that shits on Avatar 1 for being Dances with Wolves meets Fern Gully, have no fear. The Way of the Water is a totally original action story that only eventually becomes Titanic. <laughs> it's a hard PG-13 with massive stakes, incredible action, and Neytiri being the Michael Jordan of shooting helicopter pilots to death with a bow. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite quote from this whole podcast. <laughs> Pair all that with its unparalleled underwater scenes, and you've got a movie that's totally worth the highest possible ticket price. It's a modern-day Empire Strikes Back without the baggage of Star Wars. It's the culmination of probably a dozen computer graphics patents. Uh, it's probably the biggest blockbuster to rock theaters until Dune Part 2 comes out. It's Avatar, the way better sequel. Um, I just, now that you said that Natiri is the Michael Jordan of shooting uh, helicopter pilots, I want to see a Michael Jordan shoe, except it's Natiri shooting outline. <laughs> That'd be very funny. Just shoot it. So, much like everyone said, the first movie, middling story, mind-blowing visual effects that have aged a little bit in some places, but for the most part, looks better than the new Ant-Man movie. Putting the Ant new Ant-Man movie trailer before this movie, total disservice to Ant-Man. I am sorry, Paul Rudd. <laughs> so... What's it gonna be? Fucking dumbass. I guess we'll get the obvious out of the way. The visual effects are fucking insane. Every time I thought I grew numb to the visual effects in this movie, the next shot would be the most photorealistic, beautiful CGI alien I've ever seen in my ride. And I would just come right there in the theater. I would just lose my mind. Every time I thought I'd grow numb, I'd shit and come more. It's absolutely insane. I, That's I, the real reason I'm blue. The movie turned me blue. I, I sat next to him in the theater. It was the most disgusting experience of my life. <laughs> They're now banned from the Alamo Draft House. I am, no, it wasn't uh, the Alamo, thank God. It was the AMC in Chesterfield, but I'm never allowed back in Chesterfield. They banned me from the city. Beautiful, beautiful movie. And I got to say, the story improves it a thousand to one. Making this a movie largely about family really works in the movie's favor. Sam Worthington, Jake Sully, is way more believable as a father as opposed to the chosen one in terms of interesting characterization. And I think it's much more suitable to Sam Worthington's talents as an actor for him to kind of take on this role, I thought. And it worked a lot better in this movie. Uh, so Gorney Weaver, as a 14-year-old, sure, she sounds old, but have you ever met a 14 year old that's that sounds like they've been smoking cigarettes for 20 years because oh. i have so it wasn't that far out of the question i did go and check out um some classes at uh, a high school because i wanted to how do you do fellow kids what i don't know her performance in this movie was magnificent it was the standout to me there's a lot of interesting stuff going on with her probably being christ with her just kind of coming out of nowhere so i guess the gorney weaver is the virgin mary and jesus christ 
Huh, interesting. For me, though, the, just the character moments in this movie really work a lot better. Quadridge is a way more interesting villain this time around. Yeah. Mostly because he's being given something to do more than, Welcome to Pandora, you're gonna fucking die. He's given a lot more of an interesting characterization this time around with the introduction of White Guy with Dread, Spider. What a guy. What a fucking guy that Spider is. Spider's a fun character. You know what? Much like Christian Bale in Thor Love and Thunder, he is the kid at school that just keeps growling at people. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. It was heartbreaking watching the oldest son die. That was a really powerful and moving moment. Fuck. Uh, that was a very powerful scene, I thought. Even though I, I didn't find the older brother character that interesting, just seeing the way the characters respond to his death was heartbreaking. And I don't think my heart wanted to pound out of my chest more than when Tiri was holding a literal knife to Spider's neck. That shit got me fucked up. I was in the theater thinking, is this movie about to kill a child? I didn't think you could stay PG-13 if you did that. Uh, but they didn't. And um, my favorite part of this movie is that James Cameron finally secretly got to make Titanic 2. Something I suspected he wanted to do for a long time. This movie, wow. It's so weird that there were two major blockbusters distributed by the Disney company that have third acts taking place on a giant boat in the middle of the water. If I had a nickel for every time that happened, I'd have two nickels, which isn't a lot, but it's weird that it happened twice. <laughs> Great movie. It's unironically one of my favorites of the year. I think I have it ranked eighth in my rankings right now. Only seven movies ahead of it. It's a massive step up from the first one. It's honestly my favorite James Cameron movie in a long time. Uh, 20 plus years. When did Titanic come out? 25 years ago. It's my favorite since Titanic. And uh, let's all just give a, a hand to Matt here and the entire VFX team for their wonderful work on this movie. Literally, you guys are like the true stars of a movie like this. I'm telling you, Disney should consider uh, submitting this for Best Animated Feature at the Oscars. I think God. it would technically qualify. God damn it. <laughs> Lion King was nominated for a Golden Globe in Animated Feature. I mean... God damn it. I don't think that that's a crazy thing to say. I think it, it's clear. It's a largely animated movie. Yeah, Austin told me there's only two shots in this movie that are entirely live action, and I don't know what fucking shots they are. We'll pick that apart when the Blu-ray comes out. 200 is twice 100. Not 200, just two. Two? My current theory is that it's something with Spider in his interrogation room alone. It has to be those, some shots in there. That's the only thing that makes sense. All right, Matt, you worked on this movie. You told me how excited you were to finally see this come to fruition. What's it like finally seeing it, I guess, five years after you worked on it, finally seeing it come to fruition? And what did you, did you like the movie? I mean, come on, give it at me. I was actually really impressed with the final product. You know, for a long time, it was kind of like this dance of like, you know, trying to remember all the things that happened in production, trying to remember all the script reads from like ages ago. Because you can't like, basically when you're reading the script, you go into like a room, you give them your phone, they take all of your stuff. You have to be like more or less naked. And then they <laughs> hand you a script, which has like a number on it. It's like script number one. They literally unlock it from like a safe, like a gigantic safe. No joke. I went in, I had had a, like a scheduled time to, to read through the scripts for two and three. They put you in like a little room. They open up the safe. Like you can see them like, okay, dial this way, dial that way, open up. And like, it's, it's like so laughable because you, they open the safe. It's like three stacks of paper in there. It's not like gold coins and uh, precious gems. It's like in a safe that you could put like a human body in, basically. Um, and so they, they then put you into uh, the script reading room, which 
I was not really allowed to, I couldn't take pictures of it. I couldn't do anything. It was really like, you can have a notepad in there and like jot down. There are very specific rules. They have to like approve whatever you've written. So you can't like rewrite whole pages of the script. You can kind of like jot down a general idea of like a suggestion of what happened on a page if it's relevant to your sequence. But it was like this very bizarre experience that was very unlike any production experience that I had had. Like trying to just hold on to all that precious information over those like few years while I was waiting for the film to come out was challenging. I was like, I was like, wait a second. Was it this sequence that that happened or was that was that from the next movie? You know, it was kind of like going back and forth in my head where like you kind of twist the details a little bit. But I think I I was able to maintain like a pretty solid grasp of the plot uh, over those four or so years since I left the production until it came out. But yeah, I was really happy with the final product, like I said. And I think the the biggest thing was like, because it was such a unique production, I was really curious, like from the scenes that I worked on, what made it into the final film, what got changed, what looked the same. And I was actually very pleasantly surprised to see that a lot of the sequences that I had been heavily involved with stayed very similar to what we had kind of shot early on um, and planned from kind of day one when I was on it. And then they took all your work out in comp. They, they took the opacity slider, yeah. just <laughs> zero. Yeah, every layer that Matt specifically worked on, they went, we're deleting this layer. Well, there's no guarantee. <laughs> I mean, we joke about it, but I mean, that can happen. Like there, and, and it might not be your fault either. It's, it's not out of the question for me to go to a movie that I've worked on like a year or two before and see that like a whole sequence that I was excited to see finish isn't even in the film anymore. So it was kind of nice to see those like handful of kind of pinnacle role defining moments make it to the big screen finally, which was pretty dope. All right, Matt, time to put the heat on. Tell me the plot of Avatar 3. No, I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that to you. I think James Cameron would personally shoot you if you even said anything. Yeah. He would personally shoot you, too. All of us would die. We would all be dead and Disney would cover it up. What is it? James Cameron has the power. Guillermo del Toro's dad was kidnapped in the 90s and James Cameron got him back. It was a million dollar ransom and James Cameron drove Guillermo del Toro to the bank, snatched up a million bucks, got a hostage negotiator, and got Guillermo's fuck dad back. Cameron has the power to kill every last one of us. Yeah, he knows people. He is people. He's gonna do it with his cell phone nail gun. Matt, your, <laughs> your portfolio, it had a picture of the Cove of the Ancestors before the teaser came out. That was amazing. I, I mean, I think that that still had been released. I think it was one of the first stills that they released, but it was also one of the first pieces of concept art that I saw when I first joined the production. And there are a couple of those that I have in mind for like films three and four that are just like in your fucking face, like amazing, like just like the most iconic looking sequences that I'm really excited for people to eventually get to see. Yeah, yeah. Obviously you can't go into any specifics, but can you promise us that the next movies are gonna blow our minds still visually? Yeah. If this one blew your mind, then Three will for sure blow your mind because we shot them both at the same time. Like some days I would go into the studio and we would be shooting scenes from three and some we would be shooting scenes from two. It was almost like one gigantic production that just got chopped in half. I mean, there is there is like a three act 
script for or all of the films, but it was shot as kind of like this gargantuan production. And then four will be shot separately after the fact. The next six years belong to Avatar, gentlemen. All right. Sorry, I'm not sure about that. Did I ask you? <laughs> <laughs> How about that Tolkien hunt? Oh. Yo, God. The methodology was fascinating, even though they were bad guys. Like, the, the the coordinated way they took down that whale was interesting, but I fucking hate them for it. And then you're also, like, what, up there in the bridge with, like, Jermaine Clement and uh, Jack Champion, Spider. Well, first of all, you wouldn't believe when that kid joined the production. Uh, Trinity Bliss was, um, she played um, uh, Tuke, the, the youngest. Uh, daughter and then I remember when they first came in like they were so young Trinity was like this little munchkin and she was like in a mocap she probably like doubled in size from the time that they started shooting until until it was done but Jack was he was kind of like I think his like big selling point uh, with casting was that he was like an expert parkour kid. Like he he c- came from like the parkour world, and so he was just like a monkey on the jungle gym. Like I we'd be like sitting there, kind of in the crow's nest at our, in our office, like looking down through the glass window, and you just see him like swinging from like set piece to set piece, like all of that parkour shit that they do through like the Pandoran jungle and everything. That's all them. None of that is really like, I mean, obviously if they jump off a cliff or something, they're jumping onto a pad and then in animation or motion edit, they're fixing the tail end of it. But so much of that stuff was shot like in camera, which was super impressive. It was really cool to see like such a young cast come on and really like embrace the technology and just like walk onto set and be like, fuck it, let's do it. Let's do it. Like, let's shoot it now. I was really impressed by that. And also, um, you know, the returning cast was so friendly, like Stephen Lang, who plays Quaritch, uh, was just like the nicest guy. I used to have breakfast with him um, at the cafe. Like, so what happened was I started coming in uh, to beat the traffic. At, I would get in at like eight o'clock, have some downtime to like eat breakfast before call time at like nine a.m. And he was just getting out of his workouts every day. He was going to the gym. Like he used the gym at the studio, I think. Uh, so he'd b- just be like emerging from his workouts at eight and he would go and get like breakfast at the cafe, which was right next to the gym. And so like every day I would be like just walking in at the same time as him. And there's like no one else around that early in the morning. It's pretty quiet. There's like a a few people kind of coming and going, but that was kind of before like the, the heavy production started going when, when, uh, call times were earlier. So their call time wasn't until a bit later. So I would walk in, he would walk in and like, after like a couple days in a row of just like standing there awkwardly, like you don't want to like fan boy over the talent. Cause like you have to maintain a certain level of like professionalism on set. Right. Or, or around set. I think I I sat down and he was like, anyone sitting here? I was like, no, Uh, no, no one's sitting there. Just you, Korich. Just don't kill me. All right. Final thoughts on uh, Avatar. Perfect blue yourself. Blue, blue Christmas Elvis Avatar. I'm having a stroke. Joe, please tell me your thoughts. 
Um, if you want to see a visually striking movie and a movie where Nurse Jackie drinks a cup of coffee with a funny robot arm. Uh, oh go- my god, that was Nurse Jackie! Yeah, uh, go, go see Avatar Way of the Water in, in IMAX, the best way possible. She apparently, I read this today, she apparently thought that movie came out years ago and it flopped. Uh, by Nurse Jackie, do you mean Carmela Soprano? Yeah, there we go. Yeah, there we go. Tim, final thoughts, go. Three words. Blue rabbits fucking. On Pandora, the main attraction is... Sure, that made sense. Austin, go. Uh, This was like watching Avatar be reborn as a real exciting franchise. You deserve a vacation. Why not go to Pandora for a few hours? After all, I'm on vacation. I'll just get mine out of the way here. Holy shit, what a fucking movie. What a fucking experience. Oh my God, James Cameron, you son of a bitch. You've done it again. Matt, how about some final thoughts from you real quick? Three words. Just go watch. Studio approved. You know who should just go watch? Who? You! Hey. The person watching slash listening to the season two finale of Bomb Squad Movie Night on Avatar Way of Water. What a fucking movie. What a fucking episode. Matt, thanks again for coming on. Do you have anything you want to plug real quick? I'm sorry. I forgot to do that. Oh, uh, we were talking about, of course. I mean, I just want to I want to plug you guys. Thank you guys so much for, for having me on. Um, I guess I could plug uh, Puss in Boots to The Last Wish, which is uh, coming out next week. That was actually one of the more recent productions that I just wrapped up on. Uh, I've been kind of monitoring the Rotten Tomatoes situation, and it seems like people are really loving it. So that's exciting to see. So we'll we'll see how that shakes out once the official release happens. But uh, so far, so good. Whenever Matt works on a movie, it's gold. I saw The Bad Guys earlier this year, and it was a really fun movie. I saw my sister, and when the credits rolled, I got the point to Matt's name and be like, I know that guy. The Bad bad Guys is really fucking good. That would be fun. Yeah. Yeah. I I would love to be on a podcast for that. So thank you again, Matt, for coming on, and thank you again, audience, for watching. If you are listening to this on any of the audio platforms we're on, thank you also very much for listening. Go on down to the thing below. Leave a review. I don't know. To boost my ego, I don't give a shit anymore. Um, if you are watching this on Spotify video, hi, I can't say you're not watching ads anymore. Apparently you've been watching ads for the last two weeks, but if you're watching it, it's uncensored. So I hope you appreciate it. I don't know how much money we're going to get on the ads from Spotify video. So you should still mosey on down to our Patreon so we can make more than beans per month. I want to make Pandora beans per month. We just need Jeff Bezos to donate. And if you are watching this on YouTube, thank you oh so very much again for watching. Go on down to the comment section below and let me know what do you think of way of the water overall are you excited for the sequels and finally when the sequel comes out will you paint yourself blue there at opening night because i know i will thank you again oh so very much for tuning into the season two finale a bomb squad movie night and i'm just gonna leave you with a few words as we uh part i see you i see you see you next time bye happy late christmas Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, all those things.